You're listening to the Dean's Dissertation, the Cleveland Sports Review and Beyond, with your host, Greg Brenda. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Dean's Dissertation. I'm Greg Brenda. Boy, oh boy, do we have, and I mean have, a lot to talk about today. We have the Browns draft. I think the draft is finally over. Uh, all 77 rounds. Oh, okay, only seven rounds. Uh, the draft is finally over. The Cavaliers survived round one of the NBA playoffs against the Indiana Pacers, and I mean survived, and now are taking control of round two against the Toronto Raptors. We'll get into that. And, of course, the Indians um, are kind of meandering along as we are now into the second month of the Major League Baseball season Some injuries to deal with, very cold bats in the month of April, which seem to be heating up a bit here in the month of May, but the pitching seems to be cooling down a bit. So where do we start? Let's start with the Cavs and the NBA playoffs. Raise your hand. Be honest. How many of you thought that uh, the Cavaliers might not advance past the first round against the Indiana Pacers? Now, originally... And I raised my hand. I thought the Cavaliers in five, maybe six. I just, I don't know. I just didn't believe in the Indiana Pacers. I knew, I knew, like everyone else, that they would have a matchup problem. All right? And they certainly did. The Pacers guards were terrific. Uh, Their fast break points were amazing. They literally had, um, well, free reign in the paint. And they really, really, really took advantage of it uh, for the most part. How the Cavaliers hung on and how the Cavaliers managed to win four games is beyond me. Because when game six was over and the Cavaliers were thoroughly humiliated, I said, man, oh man, I, I, I have no idea how they're going to survive game seven. Well, they did. Thank God it was a home game. Thank God the uh, Cavaliers had home court advantage. The crowd was behind them. And LeBron James finally got a little help from his friends. And I mean, finally. A little bit here, a little bit there. Tristan Thompson finally got a start and uh, took advantage of it, especially in the first quarter and especially in the first half. Kevin Love, although he continued to shoot poorly, got some key rebounds. George Hill played the last 19 minutes and was spectacular in controlling the floor. And, of course, LeBron did what he always did. And, and well, you know, when, when LeBron is on and LeBron affects the outcome of a game, it's usually in a positive manner. But watching LeBron after the game at the podium, I mentioned very early on, I said, man, oh, man, I've never seen him this exhausted anywhere at any time. And you know what? I don't think he's ever been that exhausted. But he gave every ounce of whatever he had and that finally pushed the Cavs through to the second round of the postseason. It was a struggle. It was a grueling seven games. It was a span of two weeks. It took a lot out of them. But the Cavs survived. And now the question was, uh, a team like Toronto, that was the number one seed, that had 59 wins during the regular season, But the Cavaliers, who have had the Raptors number for a couple of years now, how would that all square up in round two? 
Because the Cavaliers went from Sunday night to playing the opening game on Tuesday night, Thursday night. So there's no three days off anymore. It's every other day, which is not back-to-back, but you still don't get a whole lot of time to really rest the soul. Well, the Cavaliers stole one in game one and then just thoroughly annihilated the Raptors in game two. LeBron James was just out of his mind with his fadeaways. Kevin Love finally had the game of the playoffs for the first time, 31 points, 11 rebounds. And there was also a lot of help from all the other Cavaliers. The Pacers just don't seem to be as intense as Indiana. The Pacers just don't seem to take advantage of anything that they have a mismatch with over the Cavaliers. And for that, they pay an extreme price. And there's nothing more extreme than losing a game. Now, fans think there could be a sweep. Maybe. I don't know. Right now, it would be highly remarkable and almost unbelievable if the Raptors would come back and win four out of five games. It just doesn't seem conceivable. Now, the Cavaliers can't let the uh, foot off the pedal here, folks. They got to keep pushing this and pushing this and pushing this because the reward may be some time off. The sooner you get done with this series, you might be able to get an extra day or two or three or more days off. And that would certainly help against their next opponent, which might be the Boston Celtics, who are now leading the Philadelphia 76ers. But again, I wouldn't rule the Philadelphia 76ers out. Good young team, hungry, not battle-tested, not postseason-tested, but one of the up-and-coming teams that all the NBA people talk about and perhaps a destination for LeBron if he decides to leave Cleveland. Man, that stuff will, will not go away. And, and, and I, I, I get it. Now they have Las Vegas odds. Let's see, there's Philadelphia, there's L.A., uh, there's Houston as the top three teams that LeBron could go to in the offseason. Oh, and Cleveland. Let's not forget Cleveland. So according to the Vegas um, gamblers, uh, the, the, the Cavaliers are one of the top four teams for LeBron's destination after 2018. Folks, I'll say it now, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I'm not really worried about this until the end of the season, whenever the season ends. And then we'll sit back and just watch what LeBron does. I have no idea. No one really does. It makes great father for especially television sports talk shows because they really need to fill time and, you know, they don't have a whole lot of subject matter and they kind of make things up. And I guess one fun piece is to talk about where LeBron's future lies. And, okay, go have at it. Enjoy yourself. Make yourself useful. And you can debate LeBron's future prospects as much as you want. And that's fine. We'll see what happens here. Hopefully they they get through the second round, which they should. I think 
no matter who the opponent is in the NBA Eastern Conference Finals, I think the Cavaliers will win that the way they're playing right now. And then we'll see an NBA Finals again. Maybe the NBA is bored with LeBron getting there four times. Funny, it doesn't seem like anybody's really bored if uh, the Golden State Warriors get there for the fourth time. But they, they may have an issue with the Houston Rockets. We shall see. So we got, we got a ways to wait before that all gets underway. But for now, we're all breathing a sigh of relief that the, that the Cavs got past Indiana and are manhandling the Toronto Raptors. LeBronto, as they call it now. Yes, Toronto has been renamed as LeBronto. To the Indians. Oh, we'll get to the Browns draft. Just hold on here. The Indians are kind of meandering along. Few games above 500. The consensus is it will be really hard for the Indians to not win the American League Central Division. And I, I you know, I, um, I'm totally down with that. It could be a, a disjointed season. Remember, last year was kind of disjointed until the Tribe got on a roll in August and into September, but then came crashing down against the New York Yankees. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. I'm still not over it, won't be over it. I'll get over it if the Indians can finally, you know, get through that first round and the ALCS and get back to the World Series again, but that's such a long way off. Right now, the Indians are still dealing with injuries. Danny Salazar, and quite honestly, the way Salazar is not pitching and still complaining of some soreness, and they're still testing his arm, and he really hasn't gone anything past bullpen sessions. It's hard to imagine right now, as we speak here in the early part of May, that Danny Salazar is even on the cusp of returning to the major league level. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. I think right now, as an Indians fan, if you're sitting there hoping and wishing and praying that Danny Salazar returns quickly, um, I think you're hoping and praying and wishing for not because I don't think it's going to happen. There's no indication right now, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's shut down again, for the near future. Andrew Miller, uh, kind of a, a, a mini injury to the hamstring, has really hurt the back end of the bullpen. The results have not been good. Now the Indians have played some extra inning games, but the Indians have been in some positions to win games with a more quality bullpen or back end of the bullpen, which right now is not taking place. And I know not having Andrew Miller has a lot to do with it. I get it. I understand that completely. But during the course of a major league season, not everything goes smoothly. You don't have all your players consistently forever or for the duration of a six-month season. That's a long way to go. And right now, there's a big hiccup going on in the back end of the bullpen. Even Cody Allen is starting to fail a little bit. From the starters, everything seems fine other than Josh Tomlin, who's giving up home runs on a record pace. There was even some defense of Tomlin against the first game of a New York Yankees series in which he gave up three home runs and five runs, but somehow got him through seven innings. 
Well, let me just say this. Most pitchers, most starting pitchers who give up five runs in the game end up losing. If your starting pitcher in most instances, I'd say 90% of the time minimal, if your starting pitcher gives up five runs, I don't care if he pitches four innings, five innings, six innings, seven innings, or goes the whole way, in all likelihood, you're probably going to lose the game because you're asking your team to score six. Guess what? Major League Baseball teams, on the average, don't score six runs a game. That's just how it is. Tito Francona, very loyal to Josh Tomlin. I, I, I get it. But there comes a point when that loyalty has to stop. When that guy has got to figure it out. When your guy that you're loyal to keeps giving up home runs like there's no tomorrow. You can't let that continue. Now, it's not like the Indians have a lot of options either filling that spot. Adam Putko is perhaps just one option. He's already done it and was successful. Ryan Merritt is still a ways away from coming back. So it's not like the Indians have a, um, a bushel full of starting pitchers in the minor leagues uh, that are capable of just coming here and getting the job done. But we shall see. The other interesting note is uh, Giovanni Urshela has been designated for assignment. His injury is over. His rehab is over. The Indians have decided to stick with utility man Eric Gonzalez, who can play multiple positions. I get it. I mean, Urshela can play more than third base, but and I understand that Eric Gonzalez is a more multi-dimensional defensive player. What I hate, though, is Giovanni Urshela is an elite defensive third baseman. I know he has had, to some degree, trouble hitting the ball, trouble getting on base. And I understand that's a, that's a big part of it. Does have a little bit of power, but is it enough power? I just hope that somewhere along the way the Indians can keep him. I am not optimistic that that's going to happen. And we'll see the contribution over the entire year that a utility player like Eric Gonzalez can make to the Indians. We shall see. It's uh, still a very long way to go. And again, we're only into the second month of the Major League Baseball season. So again, we have a long, long way to go. All right, we got to the Browns. And everybody wants to know, Greg, how how did you think they did? I got to tell you, though, the funniest thing is meeting Browns fans face-to-face. And I knew this was going to happen. I predicted it. I tweeted it. I I said it on all my podcasts. That over 60% of Browns fans' heads would explode when their guy, their quarterback guy, was not picked by the Browns as the number one selection. And guess what? I was absolutely correct. I usually am. Baker Mayfield. Now, was I surprised a little bit? Yes. Am I down on Baker Mayfield? You know what? I'm going to stick to what I have said before. John Dorsey, the Browns GM, he's the only one in charge of making that pick. Not me, not you, not anybody else. And John Dorsey's career with the Browns, John Dorsey's reputation, 
with the Browns and in the NFL will be on this pick. Did he go out and pick the right guy? In John Dorsey's mind, there was no question he was the guy. He has the it factor. He has the precision factor. He has the leadership factor. Now, he is the smallest quarterback out there. And apparently, in this case, it really did not play a role in why the Browns decided to choose or not choose him. So we shall see. But I got to laugh when Browns fans come up to you and go, Greg, my guy was this. My guy was that. And I would say to them, okay, what does that mean, your guy? The Browns didn't ask you about your guy. Did you watch your guy's games every game? Did you chart his throws? If you did, then there's something wrong with you. Your guy. It's Dorsey's guy. It's the Browns guy. Now, in the fourth pick, they picked Denzel Ward, which I had absolutely no problem with. Best cornerback in the draft. By everyone's measure. A little on the short side, but he's a guy that can go one-on-one with guys. And again, there's obviously going to be a learning curve, folks. I mean, that's just how it is. There's always a learning curve. And you gotta, you got to get through it. End of story. So we'll see if indeed the Browns can get through this and 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 beyond with it. I I, I think they'll be fine. I, I absolutely think they'll be fine. So you get to some other picks. And again, after I mean, really everyone was concerned about the first two picks of the draft. They drafted Austin Corbett, who um is a guard tackle who may be a, a guy that they can move position to position. Um, for those of you who, you know, wanted Saquon Barkley as the number one pick. And, you know, we're really disappointed that the Browns didn't go in that direction. Okay. They were never really going to go in that direction. You know it. I know it. Get over it. It was never going to happen. All right. And they didn't go in that direction. But they ended up picking up uh, who I thought was a very good running back, Nick Chubb out of Georgia. And then they drafted Chad Thomas, a defensive tackle, uh, with their fifth pick in the draft. And again, when you go on and on here, you get into guys that, you know, are are the Browns taking a chance at? Yeah, to some degree. Sometimes you hit on a... Sometimes you hit on a bonus pick, you know, later on where, you know, for whatever reason, players drop. Remember, there was also free agency. So the Browns have have really gone out and remade their roster. They have remade the roster at the quarterback position. They are trying, at least they are saying they are trying to change the culture. Well, a 1-31 culture will not cut it anywhere, folks. One in 31 is not good in any culture. So we have a long way to go. There's rookie mini camp and then off-season workouts and then mini camps and then a little bit of a hiatus. And then the next thing you know, training camp starts the last week of July. And then you get on with it. I think we can honestly say the Browns will be better 
next year. How much better? I don't know. Four games, five games, six games. You know, there are fans out there that think that the Browns can be seven or eight games better. Um, I think that's asking for a lot. I don't think it's not necessarily impossible, but it's not really logical or probable that they're going to go that far. But it's a step. And once you start winning a few games, the expectations get bigger and bigger. The Browns, let's say, go out and win six games this this year, which will still be bad, but better than zero games. Then you know the next year the expectations are at least 500 and maybe nine and seven. And if you don't get to 500 or if you don't get to nine and seven, then the fans begin to get a little nervous again and get a little testy again. So, again, no grades. I have no idea. The funniest thing is all the draft nicks out there who say you got to pick this guy and rate this guy here. And then at the end of the draft, they give their draft grades. Would you ever grade a paper that was incomplete? Well, guess what? All of these draft picks, all of these selections, not only by the Browns, but by other teams are all incomplete. Nobody in their right mind would grade an incomplete paper. But, you know, in the society that we live in today, we got to have instantaneous grades. Well, Mike, Mel Kuyper gave the Browns this grade. And, and you know, Todd, Todd, Todd McShay gave the Browns that grade. And, and Dana Brugler gave the, the Browns that grade. I mean, they're all the draft nicks. I don't even look at it, folks. You know what I look at? How all these picks perform and get better or get worse and ultimately try to make the Browns better because that's the only thing that matters. How these other teams do with their picks, certainly you compare with what you picked as to what the other teams picked, and then you go on from there. So we shall see. Again, I think they did a good job, but only time will tell. All right, that's another edition of the Dean's Dissertation. It's going to come fast and furious here as the Cavs playoffs hopefully continue. More on the Browns and the Indians' early season successes and woes. We'll continue to discuss this on another edition of the Dean's Dissertation. I'm Greg Brinda, and thanks for listening. Subscribe to the Dean's Dissertation today.